Kia ora, you're at a loss. A podcast series about living fully, even when death makes its presence felt. My name's Timothy Giles, and in my work as a funeral celebrant, I get to meet a lot of people who have, if not mastered that aspect of life, at least having a really good crack at it. And then there's some people, Nick Russell, who I just wonder what you're up to. You talk to children about death. Well, that are you destroying their childhoods? What are you doing, Nick? No, I think when you think about it, Giles, like one in 20 children will experience the death of a significant family member before they're 18 years of age. That's a lot of kids. And I think with children, you're much better to tell children a sad truth than a mistruth and wrap your coping arms around them to help them deal with that tough stuff because children know... Hang on, hang on. Just a sec. You are better to tell a child... A sad truth than a mistruth and wrap the coping mechanisms that they need around them to help them deal with it. Can you give me an example? Well, I think... Well, I'll... From my own personal experience, for example... Whenever my daughter Kenzie was sick with cancer, she was diagnosed in 2005. And at the end of that year, she developed septicemia and was going to die. So with her brother Connor, he was two years older than her. He was five. And before we brought him in to see Kenzie in the paediatric intensive care unit where she was hooked up to machines, I took photographs of the machines before we took Connor in. We sat Connor outside and I showed Connor the photographs of the machines and I said to Connor... Connor Kenzie's body is really struggling to work at the minute. She's very, very sick and her body needs a rest to help her to try and get better. So these machines, what you're going to see Kenzie hooked up to is working for her body so she can have a rest to try and get her better. So we brought Connor into the room. He got to touch Kenzie. He got to ask questions. He was quiet. He took it all in. Unfortunately, at the end of that week, Kenzie was going to die. Connor was in that room. You know, it was explained to Connor that Kenzie's body just would no longer work. It was like a car that broke down and could not be fixed. She got a lemon. It wouldn't work. The body and the soul being two different things. It was an analogy a five-year-old could understand. He was part of that process. He was not shut out of it the whole way through. And it meant as Connor grew older that those tough subjects and those tough questions, he always felt he could ask me and he would be given the truthful answer. And we would help him deal with those tough emotions that he would feel around it. And that, to me, is a much better approach. And research has shown that's a much better approach with young people. But I think we are a death of our society. We don't like talking about death even as adults. Can, so, I, can, I, can I come to that in a moment? Yes, of course you can. Parenting gold star. Oh, thank you. Your baby girl was dying. Yes. And you knew that. Yes. And you were able to look after Connor. Kenzie is there and you must have been angry and and devastated, right? And all of... I I can barely guess at the emotions that you were feeling. And that you're losing your little girl. Mm. And the rage and all of Mm. these things. And yet you managed to find that space for that level of skillful parenting. Well, I think as a parent, for many of us that are parents, you're, you're thrown into, and grief is overwhelming, we, you can't explain how it feels, traumatic grief when you lose a child. It is the ultimate, I, I feel. And 
But it also when you've got other children, you know, for me, when I looked at Connor, I still had the th thought in mind that how I dealt with my grief would ultimately influence how he dealt with his grief. It would shape his childhood and the man that he would become. So I knew right even from that point how we dealt with it would leave a lasting imprint on him and how he would develop moving forward. So he was part of that journey. And I think, you know, I worked in the UK as a hospital play specialist in hospitals with sick children and families. A hospital play specialist. specialist. So what you're doing is you're helping young children and their families understand what's happening to them in the hospital setting. So I sort of, my background was in that area of working in health. And so you had a bit of a head start. I had a bit of a head start. Okay. So Thank goodness, because I'm just looking at that thinking, what sort of superwoman are you? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so and I was an early childhood educator, so I trained in the field. So I had, you know, some insights about what to do in those situations. But we know these are not easy conversations to have. They are very difficult conversations to have. As adults, we find it hard to talk about death anyhow. As I said, we are a death-averse society. We really struggle with it. But the thing we've got to put our children to the forefront and go, we know by talking about it, you know, because when grief is shared, it feels less lonely. You know, and so you don't want your child to grieve alone. You don't want to grieve alone. Sometimes we we all... Even in relationships, we have to do our grief our own way. But I think, you know, when you can speak your loved one's name, even as a child, if you can share those memories, honour those memories, and help have the, and help foster those conversations, they all help. So talking about Kenzie. Yes. And saying her name. Yes. And being able to say that. And, and the... The sad truth that mm. Connor was right up close with mm -hmm. enables Kenzie to still be present? Well, I think it's for all of us whenever we've experienced a loss. Your person was. They have left an imprint on your life. You know what I mean? And I think even if you think about it, if we put it on an adult perspective, if your parent has died as an adult and they've lived a full and fruitful life and people come to the wake or the funeral and you hear people starting to talk about the memories I remember the time when your dad went out and he was driving the car and he was an awful driver you know and you start having these memories and conversations it's like it, it brings a smile to your face because you're reliving these wonderful memories that are shared and aspects that you might not have known about your father because we view parents in a different light and friends will have a different relationship the same goes with a child or a traumatic loss if it's been a partner or um, you know an intimate partner you know all those losses you know we want to talk we want to share and it's but I think because people feel awkward and they don't know what to say you know people don't want you to be sad they want to fix it it can't be fixed you've got to you know grief is not an easy subject and I think whenever it first happens it is so raw. It's like an acute illness. It's so traumatic. It's raw. It's devastating. And as time moves forward, it morphs more into like a chronic condition that you learn to live with. The pain is there. It's, a, it's an ache that you know is always there. And sometimes it will flare up and knock you off your feet. You know what I mean? Like an acute attack. And then it will subside again and you'll be able to move forward with life again. But it is always there and it never grows. And I... I like Dr. Lewis Tonkin's analogy when she said, you know, grief doesn't get any smaller. What happens is your life goes around your grief. And when a traumatic event happens or you get triggered, 
you go right back into yourself and you internalize. It's, it's like when we're having a stressful event in life, we go into ourselves and we need to shut the world out for a little while where we sort of look after ourselves and recuperate and take stock until we're ready to emerge again. The same is for grief. And I think that was the best analogy I ever heard work because your life does go around it. You can have a fulfilling life, you can have a joyful life and be open to the experiences that life bestows you because there's joyous moments to be had again in life and life is sprinkled with pure moments of heaven on earth. They might be few and far between, but they do happen and not to feel guilty because I think in those early stages of grief, when you first start to have a time out experiencing something and you, and you laugh again, and then you feel a bit guilty, am I forgetting? Because that, that intense sorrow is beginning to ease. You Sometimes then you you beat yourself up because you're feeling guilty because you, you're leaving them behind. But that's not the case. You know, I, I don't I don't feel, I think it's, you know, you're just, your life, your life is becoming richer again and it's, and it is enriched because of the love you had for your, for your one that, that that's lost. And I feel my life has been exceptionally enriched for having Kenzie in it. Um, I take, as many parents will say, I take the pain of it. You know, I, I would never wish never to have had her in my life. You know what I mean? When you, when you open your heart to loving someone so deeply, you open your heart, you know, to, to compute pure heartbreak and pain and sadness whenever that person goes. And that's if it's an intimate relationship that, that goes or if it's, or if it's the loss of, of someone that you love so much. But you've got to be able to live a full life moving forward and I think that's how you can best honour their legacy. And you have founded a, a charity? Yes. Kenzie's Gift. Yeah. Three years you had her plus mm. you bore her. Yeah. Right? So four years in your life. Yeah. And now how many years later... We set up Kenzie's gift about three years after Kenzie died. And the inception for Kenzie's gift came for me whenever, after Kenzie died. I mean, traumatic grief that I was experiencing and I was facing my own breast cancer um, treatment at the same time and I was a single parent at that point. Oh. All these losses were, were too big for friends and family and me to manage on our own. It was... The losses were too great. So I knew I needed professional help because it was too big. So I had a wonderful psychotherapist called Maxine Bergen-Page who, who gifted her time to me to see me. And she helped me rebuild my shattered life from the from the, from the the pure embers that, that was left. And she gave me the resilience and the strength of resilience to rebuild my life, to be there for Connor so I could create a brighter future for him, create a brighter future for me, moving forward with this mag, mag, magnitude of a loss that was um, Kenzie and the other losses that had, I had experienced. And what I'd also found was there was nothing out there to support the mental health of children and families. There was nothing. I mean, you could pay for therapy, absolutely. I mean, but therapy even back then was a bit... I've, I looked you up oh. when I was looking for therapists around... Mm. Children and death and yeah. grief, and there I found Kenzie's gift. Right, and what what's the URL? The the web the web address? Dub 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 dot Kenzie's gift dot com dot com. So yeah. K E N Z I E S gift yeah. dot com. Mm. You've put some serious resources up. Right. How, how many years have you been running Kenzie's gift? About twelve now. Right. So uh, you've got resources for. 
how to support grieving children. Yes. How to tell children that the sad truth. Yeah. And that might be someone else has died. Yeah. Someone else is dying. Mm-hmm. You're dying. Yeah. Yeah. What? How do I do that? How? how... I think. I mean. I mean, I, I want to point out that I'm not the therapist. You know what I mean? I, I'm not the, the therapist. And I think, you know, we have a wonderful team of all of our therapists that we've got are registered mental health professionals. You know, I mean, they're either psychologists or the psychotherapists, but, you know, specialising in child and adolescent and family work. So they're very highly skilled. Um, so whenever we've developed resources, it's been in conjunction with them, right? So it's not, so I just want to, so it's not just a mum with an experience and thinking this is what should be. It's not anecdotal. It's actually based in good science. But I think, you know, there's no right and wrong way. I think it's just by being honest and, and explaining to a child, you know your child better than anyone, you know, because their personalities are all different. You know, I mean, you know your family circumstances, you know, your belief systems that you've got. So I think it's about talking to a child in a way, in a language that they understand and it's age appropriate. And you will know that as the parent because you know them or the family member that's supporting that child. And it's being open because this has been a sad event. And I mean, it's okay for your child to see you crying because this is sad and they get to process. But being part of the process, they get to see this is part of life. And there's some wonderful books out there about um, life and death for children of, of young, across the ages from young school age to adolescence and older. Death is part of life. Death is part of life. And that's one thing we all know. We're all going to die, but... No, we don't all know that. Well... You, you called it a death-averse society. Yes. Right. I, I had another conversation in here where, um, you know, Wade Downey, 30 years, um, yeah. funeral director in Barma, mm. and he said, we're a society of death denial. Yeah. Well, death averse is the same thing as death denial, but... We, yeah, so you sit there and you go, death is part of life. And not many people have that conversation, Nick. Yeah, and I suppose until you're thrown into that, I mean, we all, I think, avoid it because we all think we're going to get this long, natural life. Yes. But bad things happen to good people all the time. You know, life can, it can be exceptionally cruel to people and, and we don't know what happens. It's just pure bad luck. You know, it's like what happened to Kenzie was pure bad luck. She got a body that just would not work. Dud. And... You know, some people try to explain, oh, I ate something or I was exposed to something or they must have, you know, in pregnancy. We try to individualise things and, and find a cause so we want to prevent that happening to us. Bad luck. You know, I mean, there's things that are just pure bad luck. And as I said, life is cruel. So I think when death does happen and you have to tell a child or if you've been given a terminal diagnosis and somebody is dying, you know, Truth is always better because you can work with truth. You can then get the coping mechanisms around you to work through it. Now, is that where it's like your child, you might need a bit of support in helping you. You might need support in helping tell your child. You might need support with helping to parent because your child naturally will get upset. You know, some of them may play out. They may not be sleeping well at school. They may be, they may regress in their behaviour. And you may want to get, I actually need a therapist to help me help them. You know, but ask the question. I mean, the support will be there. And um, some people, you know, just need the tips and advice that there's lots of resources on the website to go, actually, that's given me, now I know how to broach that subject. There's some, you know, um, wonderful kits that we've got with activities and stuff that you can help because children will are better through play, you know, because as adults, we can articulate a conversation of how we're feeling, right? Children can't articulate 
those complex feelings. So for them, often they will show it through play and activities. And sometimes when you're as a family reading a book or doing an activity together or a memory activity or creating something together, it opens up the conversations and it's, you know, you're you're doing something together which can help, you know, with those tough conversations. And um, help with things like understanding that death is final. Under, what, what are the tough things for a child to conceptualise that play can help with? Well, I think, I mean, as every, every stage in childhood, like for your under sevens, you know, they, they really can't concept that death is, is finite. So, you know, whenever a child then gets older, you know, they'll start to, as they developmentally um, increase their understanding, they'll come back to you with more questions. Like Connor, you know, whenever he was five, you know, we used the analogy of the car for Kenzie. So I'll use my own personal experience. But whenever he was 10, the cat got knocked down and, and, and got killed. That was the first time he cried over his sister because he knew at 10 what death meant. And then he could reflect the fact, well, actually, my sister's not here. What that permanence actually meant, it triggered something in him. You know, and he cried and I cried and I said, you know, Connor, life is just, it's unfair. It's, and I used the word shit. I said, it's just a shit. You know what I mean? It's like, we can't bring her back. You know, I cry because I, I, I miss her. I love you as much as I love your sister. But whenever I'm crying, I just miss her. And you're crying, Connor, because you miss her. And it's making sure that, and I was very cognizant of when Connor was growing up while he seen me cry and we recognised our grief, that he always knew that he was loved as much as his sister. You know what I mean? And whenever I was crying, it was because I was missing her and not loving him any less. So he felt assured. And I think as so long as children feel loved and secure, you know what I mean, they will be able to get through this really tough stuff. You know what I mean? And it's and it's making sure that, you know, that, that is those mechanisms are put around them and then they have someone, even if you're not feeling your best, that there's someone in the family or a close family member who can be that person, you know, whenever you're not feeling strong enough, you know, to cope, that they have got that go-to person to be there for them, you know? And, um, yeah, but it is about being, having an honest conversation, you know? And always use, don't use analogies. What we find, and the therapist will often say this, we'll often say somebody's gone to sleep or they're in or they're in the sky now, or, you know, they haven't gone to sleep, they're dead. Use words, use the D words, they're dead, they have died, their body isn't working anymore. Don't use euphemisms, because children have magical thinking as well, and if they've gone to sleep, well, if I go to sleep, will I wake up again? And we still use these analogies. You know, they're hard words to use, and it's like, but that is what it is. Explain exactly what it is, and use the that language that... They're dead, you know, and, and, and what process you're going to. And Connor said to me at the time, now this is what, we buried Kenzie. So, I mean, culturally being Irish, I mean, we always, you know, buried our dead and we have a wake. Um, but Connor, the first thing he said to me was at five was, Mummy, you're not going to burn Kenzie, are you? So we didn't cremate her. And it was like, no, Connor, we're not going to burn Kenzie. We are burying Kenzie. So he was part of, you know, the coffin and everything. And we decorated the coffin and... You know, whenever Kenzie came home, we took her out of the coffin so he could touch the dead body because she was different from whenever we left the hospital to whenever we came home and took the the, co the lid off the coffin so he could see wow. and touch her and ask questions. And, you know, he got to and whenever she was ready to go to the funeral home for the funeral, the lid went back on, you know, we'd put letters in the coffin with her, you know, and to the ceremony and then to burying her. So it was all, he was part of every process. We didn't shut him out of any of it. 
It was about being honest and it wasn't scaring him. And it's like we did a, I was involved in a breast cancer campaign, campaign shortly after Kenzie died and we, we were used, we took a coffin down to Parliament and the coffin was in our house and we were painting it because we were putting, you know, crosses in it and everything. Connor would say, oh, mummy, can I get in the coffin? And he wanted to play in the coffin because children play, that's how they do. And it's like, it might have freaked other people out, but he was so used to, this is part of play, it's death, it's, you know, part of life and processing it. And that's what he did. And, the, and our therapists that work with young children, they'll often use a sand tray and they've all these little figurines. A, a what? Sand tray. A sound tray. Sand. Oh, sand. 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 Yeah. And they'll, and they'll let the children, you know, express themselves in the sand tray. And often they will get figurines that represent death that they might see on TV. You know, it's it's um, Darth Vader or something like that. They will pick up the coffins. They will pick up the skeletons, and they'll, you know, they'll have the skeleton down in the in, in the sand tray, and they'll have the skeleton in the in the um, coffin. You know, and it's. Um, or they will have maybe pick a figurine up that represents mum that's no longer here or, you know, dad or somebody that's sad. So they're they're communicating all through these, you know, tools that they've got or, you know, they'll, they'll use cards as well, you know, to express, you know, if it's how they're feeling today or, you know, if they've, they've got anger and all those things. But they're giving them the, you know, the, the they're using activities and tools with the children to help them process in their way and they're being guided by the children, you know what I mean? And it's what they're showing them is how the therapists work. But, yeah. You have been a part of creating readying children for the fact that they're going to die. Mm. What have you learned? Again, that would probably be more of a therapist question mm. than, than me, to be fair, um, Giles. I think it's... Um, you know, the insights the therapists have are, are, are phenomenal and I think, you know, would be a good guest, you know, on, on another podcast for you. Um, I mean, I think, you know, what the feedback we have, we have been given, you know, from families is about how valuable the therapy has been to help them process stuff that they... Children should not have to face this stuff and neither should their families. But as I said, life is very, very cruel and bad things happen to good people. No, you said life's a shit. That's yeah, what you said. <laughs> I said life's a shit. So, yes. And um, and I think that, you know, I mean, you need highly skilled people to help you navigate that stuff. and You need the right support mechanisms there. So, I mean, that's why Kenzie's gift was established, because there was a gap in service provision. And there still is a gap. I mean, we would love to have loads of resources. We would love to have millions of dollars in the bank. We don't. We're still a small charity. You know, we, we grow as best we can to meet the demand um, as we can and um, we'd love to be doing more. You know, it's, you know, I have got numerous jobs because I have to pay bills. Kenzie's gift is my passion and, um, you know, I'm very dedicated to it because I just see the value in, you know, this can wreck your life and it ha can have long lasting consequences for many people. I've met many adults who lost significant family members as children and they still haven't processed it as in adulthood. And what we really want is to be able to create brighter futures for kids and their families who have had to face the unthinkable, that they can, that life can have, that their dreams and ambitions for life can still occur and they will carry their grief with them. Their life will grow around their grief where they can have a full life. And, and sometimes even though this awful thing has happened, there's positives, believe it or not, Jess, that can come out of it. I mean, I've met many young people years after that we have supported you know, through Kenzie's gift. And 
they're so compassionate and empathetic and have insights well beyond their years. They're going to be players in this world. They're going to give something back to society and community that maybe if this hadn't happened, they might not have had that insight too and something, a force that's driving them. And I think it's probably the memory of their loved one that, that creating a legacy that's been left um, through their loved one and you know making their loved one proud. And it's, um, you know, they can achieve wonderful things and it's, and I feel honoured to meet, you know, to have had sit down conversations with some of these young people that we have met and we have helped and their families. And it's, um, and I think, you know, Kenzie would be 18 this year and that is her legacy. It is her gift to them, the gift that keeps on giving, I'd like to think, and can continue to grow to help more families in New Zealand who need it. You know, you've got a project coming up. Yeah. Dear Grief. Yeah. And the, the idea, as I understand it, is, is quite simple. I write a letter to grief. Yeah. So, Dear Grief, we started two years ago was when we first did it for International Children's Bereavement Week, which is in November, which coincides with Kenzie's birthday on the 22nd of November. And that year, Connor wanted to do a memorial tattoo to his sister. I mean, it's um, he came to me about it. It's what he wanted because Connor's quite a reserved guy. You know, he's laid back. And most parents, as soon as your kid comes to you, I want a tattoo. You're like, absolutely, no way. As soon as you sit in memory of Kenzie, oh, of course, darling, let's find a tattoo artist for you. Let's, who's the best tattoo artist we can find? And, um, so yeah, boom. And um, so we, we filmed it in his journey and he was open about his message to Dear Grief and how his life has is different, you know, compared to what it would have been. And then one of the, another young guy that we had been supporting, who's an amazing young, talented filmmaker called Luca Wolfgram, did a, uh, his film, short film to Dear Grief about his brother Costa that he lost and it was a powerful opening piece to open up the conversation about grief because when grief is shared it feels less lonely that was quote Luca insights of a 14 year old boy at the time Luca's now 16 so Dear Grief 2020 so we thought we'd like to build on it because it was well received that year we had many you know quotes and tweets and instas from, from young people and, and kids about what they said to Dear Grief and this year it's about writing a letter, a handwritten letter to Dear Grief. And we're doing a photo shoot as well. So we have about 15 subjects. So we're doing a photo shoot with a wonderful photographer, Lee Howell, who's, who's giving us wonderful time. Can we find this online? Where do we engage with this? You can you be able to f- go online um, to kenziesgift.com or else okay. our Facebook page. Um, if they're interested, just email me, nick at kenziesgift.com. At the minute, we've got a full suite for the photography component, so we can't inundate Lee anymore. Unless somebody drops out, we can put somebody else in. Well, I'm, I'm interested in, in in the project and yeah. in, in what you do with that. So we still want letters. We still want handwritten letters, so that's completely open. Okay. And we will be... The exhibit will be on the weekend of Kenzie's 18th birthday. Well, we'll, 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 we'll get to we'll, that in a we'll, minute. Well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll promote that around yeah. around the time, but who knows yeah. when people are listening to this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They may be listening to this at some point in yeah. the distant future. And it will also, we will showcase it again online as part of it, you know. Kenzie'sgift.com, K-E-N-Z-I-E-S, gift.com. Mm-hmm. In conclusion... Mm. Thank you for coming in here and bringing your radical thinking. And and to me, it's radical kindness. Oh, and it's, it's very courageous. I can only imagine the opposition that you have found, as well as seeing some mm. of the support that is there. So 
it's a, it's a real pleasure to spend some time with you and and to get a sense of what is possible. What would your concluding comments be for as we sit here and listen to you? I think there's no right or wrong way to do grief. You know what I mean? It's like I had my experience, you'll have your experience. And I think within your own family, know that you're not alone. Reach out if you need help, it is there. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to tell you how to do it, but we will guide you, you know, and, and give advice. And I think for children, I think, even though it is a tough subject, I think I said it earlier in the piece and I'll say it again in closing remarks, it's better to tell a child a sad truth than a mistruth and wrap your loving arms around them and help them navigate through. I think that's the honesty is the best key. Yeah. And thank you so much, Giles, for having me on and being able to share the story and, and um, inviting me along. It's been an absolute honour and what you're doing with your podcast is phenomenal and it's it's opening up those conversations about grief so people do not feel so alone and it's a wonderful thing. This thank will you. not be the last conversation that yeah. we have and mm -hmm. I suspect not the last one we record oh. either. Nick, just a joy. Thank you.